Everybody praise the Lord this morning. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. We've got a good congregation this morning. Hopefully we got Canada hooked up with us. Everybody's happy. Everybody's saved. Everybody's in the rapture. Amen. Let's go right straight to the scripture this morning. Our study is the word made flesh and that is necessary for the rapture. Now keep in mind we're going to look at this morning and review these things that you have heard before. But it's more clear to us now and we must understand where we are in this transition of our revelation. The rapture is a revelation. The resurrection and the body change that we read in 1 Thessalonians 4.16 is a product of that revelation. But if you notice that the person, God himself, who is the tree of life, must descend here first. And we eat of the tree of life to be able to come to the resurrection and the change of the body for the catching away. So we're looking at a revelation and unfolding by the scriptures to see where we are in this process from mortal to immortality. And let's read some scripture this morning. All of these scriptures we're reading pertains to what is called in the fundamental world the second coming of Jesus Christ. We call it the rapture. Many of us call it the message of the presence. Because the revelation of the presence is the revelation of the rapture. Because it requires the presence of the tree of life to change the body. And we found that that you must eat the fruit of the tree of life, which is what we call doctrine or the message that God himself brings pertaining to himself. God is the only one that can reveal himself. God is the only one that can reveal himself in and through a prophet, giving the prophet his message or his prophecy. And God is the only one that can come down in someone else to interpret what he's told or spoke through another being or another prophet. So we can read in the scriptures the prophets, And then we reserve to ourselves the right that we can understand, let's say, what Malachi said, what Isaiah said, and what Jesus said, that we can figure it out and we can come to a conclusion. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches that God comes to a prophet, speaks a message. He comes through another prophet and interprets his message. So you'll never know where... The message of one prophet is fulfilled unless another one comes to tell you this day, this scripture is fulfilled. So we see a prophet used as a foreteller of future events. And then there must be one to come and tell us this is that which was spoken of by Jesus, Isaiah, Malachi, or the book of Revelation. How many of you follow now? So without a prophet office... You will never understand God, hear from God, or know anything about God. That's the way that he has chose to reveal himself. Being that means of communication, then we must get our minds in order to think accordingly of how God's going to do it 
instead of reserving the right that we can figure out what's going on. Okay? So with that in mind, let's read some scripture. Now, these scriptures pertains now to the Word becoming flesh in the body of Christ. You and I to be in what we call the final part of the rapture, the change and catching away to the marriage supper, must be a part moving from mortal to immortality. To do that, we must have access to the tree of life. We must be able to come to the tree of life in the state that we're in. Partake of that tree... The result of that tree is that it transforms us by the renewing of our mind from a mortal to immortality, placing us by doctrine in a position that the presence of God can take direct control over you and take you where He wants you to be. So we're looking at a process where God comes down here he makes himself known. He reveals himself, and a group of people acknowledges that he's here. In that presence, he metamorphoses himself into our own being by the process of hearing, confessing, and acting, which is the law of faith, until the very revelation of the Word is a part of you. That revelation, therefore, takes over your mind, your thinking, and even your body. Brother Bam called it the preeminence in his church. At that point, God then, as he controlled Jesus, as he controlled the prophet, can control each one of us and take us into another dimension by his own anointing or his own presence. That's what we're looking at. So... We simply call it basically the Word becoming flesh. You may call it the rapture. You can call it the second coming of the Lord. But the term second coming of Jesus Christ is a misunderstood term in Christianity. There's nowhere in the Scripture that speaks that Jesus can only come two times. There are many comings of the Lord. It is up to the people to realize how God appears, what He does, so they can move in the transition and in the process to be a part of the plan of God. If you miss the appearing, which is the Word being made known through flesh, then you stop in the process. You become the shuck, you become the stalk, you become that part which is left over for the burning. We know by conditions and politics that we are at the end of mankind's world system as we know it. It is fixing to be burnt over. But according to the Bible, there are certain events that must transpire to deliver us out of the judgment. Two prophets come to 144,000 to deliver them. And then the earth is burnt over atomic. And then we walk out upon the ashes of the wicked that the Bible calls, or the church world calls, the second coming of Jesus Christ. We're going to see that that is not actually the second coming, or it's not called the second coming. It is called basically the gathering, or the millennial reign, or the reign of Jesus Christ with His body. Called the kingdom of God. What is confusing is the terms, the language. 
When I say second coming, then you say there's one coming, then there's two coming. That's as far as your mind will go. If your mind was open to only follow the Scriptures and put no private interpretation to it, but just follow the Scriptures, then we would understand and be able to see spiritual reality out here among us. In other words, the Scriptures describes what God is doing in the spirit world by bringing it into manifestation in physical form. So when he talks about the chaos, wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, disease, and all that, you can look out and see the news today because it's fulfilling itself. So we are in the very condition as we was in the days of Noah. Can everybody agree with that? We have found out, according to a prophet, if the world is physically in the condition of the days of Noah, the spiritual condition must also exist at the same time. At that time, we have Abraham had already separated himself and set out here outside of Sodom, outside of judgment, with the revelation of the presence of Almighty God. You say, how can you say that? Because God appeared to him in human flesh and told him of the visitation, told him he would have a son. On and on we understand that Abraham had a revelation of the rapture because he's seen the presence of God or the Word manifested in flesh. We should represent that group. Lot down here in the church knew about the message because it was Abraham's nephew or cousin. He had heard Abraham's message preached, but he made a choice. Go out here or go down to Sodom. Lot, which represents the foolish virgins or the church, chose to take the route of Sodom. They went right back into the systems, right back in organized religion. In other words, after they heard the message, seen the manifestation of the presence of God in Abraham, chose to reject the sign, reject the voice, and go back to Pentecost. That's the setting that we are at today. So what we're looking at this morning and reviewing our minds again, what does the Bible teach us the rapture is all about and how will we know that we're in it and where are we in the process? 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. Watch now. For the Lord himself. Now this is not someone else. This is not a mighty angel. This is the Lord himself, which we know that this Lord himself is Revelation 10, 1, the mighty angel that comes down with a rainbow over his head and an open book in his hand. In other words, you're looking at the Lord himself coming down here in the midst of the church to make himself known. What we want to see is what coming of the Lord this is. Is it physical? Is it corporal? Who will recognize it? How will it be fulfilled? Will we know if it is fulfilled or is it still future? If you're looking for something that's fulfilled into the future, then your picture is already off kelter and you're looking for something that has already been. Therefore, you must misinterpret the Word of God to keep yourself going. 
Because there's nothing else for you to do except misinterpret. Oh, well, Brother Bram's got to come back. They've got to be atten- they got to be... There's got to be something other than what it really is. So let's look at it. For the Lord himself. Now we know that this is Revelation 10.1. And we'll read this next in our line of scripture. Shall descend from heaven with a message. A message is always brought to you by a prophet. A message is a prophecy. We'll get to the definition in a few minutes. So we're looking for God himself to come down here to earth in the channel and means of a prophet. In other words, God himself will come in human flesh. But it's not his own flesh of Jesus 2,000 years ago. It is the flesh of a prophet, which we find is Revelation 10, 7. So the Lord himself will come down to Revelation 10, 7, a prophet, and he will have a shout or a message to gather together the very elect to himself, which you remember is the tree of life. What is he calling you together around his presence for? To partake of the body word of the Son of Man or to partake of the anointing himself which is eternal life. In other words, birth is to be. 1965. But we're looking at not the natural or be born again being saved. I'm looking at birth is to be from mortal to immortality. From basically partiality to fulfillment. To bring forth the manifestation of the sons of God which is only a revelation that they are the Word made flesh. You know who you are and what you are and what God is doing in and through us. Watch. With the voice of the archangel, and that archangel, the voice, now remember, the prophet was the sign, the invisible one, the pillar of fire, or the light is the voice. God is always the voice. As we said before, God is the only one that can reveal Himself. Man cannot do it. He uses the means and channel of a man to speak through or to communicate himself to you. Therefore, your vision of God must and will come by your hearing the Word of God. So our vision comes by hearing. Faith cometh by hearing. Therefore, when we hear... One day we'll be able, I have heard, and now I see. We've got to come to the seeing part, which is the climax of who you are, what you are, what God is here doing in and through us after he has already brought the messenger, gone off of the scene, but God himself is still here in the midst of his church as the word of God. All right. With the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall change first, and then those that are alive shall be changed and be caught up together with them in the cloud. All right. And second, I put Second Thessalonians 1, but it's 2 Thessalonians verse 7 and 8, which I uh, got the right scripture down, but the wrong text. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, and I'll read it out of the scripture. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Now that started in the church age in the book of Acts, where the spirit of error come in by elders. 
And Brother Bram said it was where they lost the revelation of the Godhead and water baptism and got salvation messed up. The mystery of iniquity is what the seven seals was all about. The white horse rather, the black horse rather, the pale. That was all Satan and doctrine and error coming down through the church until the end. And at the end time, it is to be made manifest that we know the man of sin, the, the spirit of iniquity, the trail of the serpent. It's all open to us so that everything is openly and revealed to us. We know who the Antichrist is, who that is, what everything is. It's open at the end time. The mystery of iniquity doth already work, Paul says. Only he, he who now letteth will let. The he there is Christ or the body of believers in which Christ is in. Because remember, he had a threefold purpose. All that was in God, he poured into church, took preeminence of the vessel, manifested himself, left the vessel. Vessel was served up as a sacrifice. Jesus died. Went to hell, the very anointing, quickened the body, raised it up, set it at the right hand, making him a kinsman, redeemer, or an intercessor. Remember that same one that used his body, turned around and come right back down on the day of Pentecost, separated himself in 120 believers, and began to build the body of Christ. What coming was that at the day of Pentecost? That would actually be the second coming of Christ. Right? If Christ said, come down, John said, this, behold, the Lamb of God, seen a pillar of fire, come down. And the Spirit said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm pleased to dwell in. That was the coming of Christ to his tabernacle, which was Jesus the Messiah. He dwelt in that created tabernacle for three and a half years. And we call the ministry of Jesus Christ, the ministry of the Logos, or the ministry of the anointing, God actually being present in human flesh, revealing himself to the people as the Messiah. He left that body in the Garden of Gethsemane. The body went to Calvary, shed the blood, which was the created blood of God that paid the price for your redemption. Sin question was settled. What Adam done in the garden was now over. Now you have been redeemed by the second Adam. He takes the sacrifice up, comes right back down. This very one that incarnated in the man Jesus went up. In a very short period of time, he turned around and comes right back down on the day of Pentecost. Now ruling and reigning in his body. We can actually call that the second coming of Christ. Here's the sticker. We're looking at Christ, which is the anointing, which is God himself. And you look at Jesus Christ, the man, the Redeemer, the Messiah, the Corporal Jesus, the Anointed One. That Anointed One is also promised as he's seen him go away in the book of Acts. He also said, as you see him go away, he shall also come again. You say, well, that's the second coming of Jesus. That's the second coming of Jesus, the kinsman, redeemer, the Messiah. But the Holy Ghost can come down and go up, come down and go up as often as he wants to. So you're absolutely looking 
at the corporal created Son of God, Jesus the Messiah, and you're looking at God Himself, the pillar of fire, the anointing, the Christ, the Logos, the Word. What we want to understand and what the prophet brought was when will Jesus Christ, Hebrews 13, 8, pillar of fire that started in the Garden of Eden. When God himself come down in the cool of the day, that light would be all that they would see. That was the Christ. That was the Logos. That was the representation of the invisible God. So we call the light God because it represents the image that God veils himself in. When we show the picture of Brother Branham with a light over him, it's not to amplify the man William Branham. It's to identify that he said that light is here and God let the camera identify and prove to us, skeptic as we are, because we got to see it to believe it. And now your natural eye can see it, but the mind still don't believe it. Come on. Faith says that light was exactly what the man that saw the light said it was. And he said it was the same light that led the children of Israel out of Egypt. The same light that descended on the river of Jordan into the man Jesus. The same light that come down on the day of Pentecost, left the church, and now after 2,000 years, that same light come down here and makes himself known in the midst of the church to change our body, to take us to another dimension called the marriage supper of the Lamb. You said, that's way out there. It is way out there. It is supernatural. It is so supernatural we don't even want to comprehend it, but it is what this Bible teaches and it is so we're calling this the rapture but actually it's a revelation of how and how God is doing things and we are a part of it if we're not the physical end of this thing then we're out of the picture altogether but the mystery of iniquity is already work only he who Christ who now letteth We'll let until he and the prophet, when he read that scripture, said, now the he here now is in this hour, and the he is the believer or the body of Christ called the bride. You say, well, it says he, and the bride is a she. Well, the bride is both male and female. We become identified with the groom. In other words, we become he. What are you saying? We become the word in flesh. How can you become the Word in flesh? When the revelation and understanding of what God has done is being made known to you, and that is your understanding and that is your faith, then you and the Word have become one. That's what we're trying to get across. And verse 8, He'll be taken out of the way the bride of Christ. Now watch. In that period of time, after... This coming together the bride, which is basically the Lord himself to send with him. The message is to gather us together. And remember the wise virgins gathered into a place with Christ. They went in and the door was shut. 
In that place the door was shut was the tree of life. They were shut into a revelation. The foolish virgins out here did not believe it. They would not even listen to it. They didn't grasp it, although they saw all the signs and the wonders proving that it was Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. The whole problem in the Bible is people never will accept when God comes and reveals himself to do what he said he would do. That's the whole key right here. And then shall that wicked be revealed, watch now, whom the Lord, and this Lord is the same Lord, the Lord himself shall descend. So this same Lord that is descended, what is he going to do? It shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. What goes out of the mouth in Revelation? A sword. What is a sword? The word of God. Where does the sword go from? Out of the mouth of a prophet. Well, thus saith the Lord. How shall he be consumed? The revelation will be so vindicated. Well, thus saith the Lord that no one should be able to doubt and question the validity of the message of the hour. So when a prophet stands up and says, Thus saith the Lord, they rise from the dead, and then turns around and says, Everything outside of this message, nothing will come to life. And I'm here to tell you this morning that denominationalism is the mark of the beast. It is blasphemous names. That Revelation 17 is the synagogue of Satan. That is where the Antichrist will rule and reign. He pinned his finger to the Antichrist system, which is the Roman Catholicism and Protestant denominationalism, period. Oh, well, we don't like that. That's talking about our church. That's not good English today. We're not talking about good English to us that's gone insane. We're talking about what the Bible teaches. And the Bible said that devil lives on seven hills. He's religious to the core. And he comes in the name of religion. But somehow we have the ability to get our heads screwed on straight, to listen to the Word of God, have the ability to change our minds, and listen to what the Scripture is telling us, that it will not consume us in its deception. That's what we're looking at. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. That's the voice of the archangel. The message of God has basically absolutely wiped out of our being any fear of the Antichrist, Mark of the Beast, or anything else. Hemi's afraid of the Mark of the Beast in here. We're not afraid of the Mark of the Beast. Why? We know what it is. I'm not looking for a computer over there somewhere that takes up 15 blocks that's going to put a mark in my forehead. Because why? I already know what it is. <laughs> we say on effort. What? And shall destroy... Now here he goes with them Greek words and that great revelation. We shall destroy with the brightness, which is the epiphania, or the manifestation of his perusia, presence. So the Lord comes down here, and he has a perusia, or presence. And while he's here, he has a mouthpiece that he absolutely takes the cover off the Antichrist system. Let you know the deception of it all. And gives you thus saith the Lord. Exactly what it is. And said if you take it. That's the mark of the beast. If you take the message of the hour. You have the seal of God. 
So you stand with a choice in front of the tree of life to eat what it says and live or reject what it says and dies. That's not too hard. So that's what you're looking at. Watch. Now Revelation 10, 1 to 3. All of these scriptures are telling us about the rapture. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. That to me is basically the Lord himself of 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. Same thing. And he had in his hand a little book open. Okay, if it's open, somebody had to open it. There's something in the book that we need to know. Whatever's in the book is the same result we'll get from eating the tree of life. Because why? It is the Lamb's book of life that's open to the elected. It's not the book of life calling names at the second resurrection. It's the Lamb's book of life, God Himself here, the tree of life. That we can partake and understand the mysteries of the doctrine to live by. Everybody's afraid of being deceived by false prophets. You can go to any church this morning. I guarantee you eight out of ten of them are preaching against false prophets, false prophets. Everybody's false prophets. Watch these false prophets. Why are you preaching so much about false prophets when you don't believe there's even a true one? How can you preach false prophets on John Hagin, all, all the 24-7, false prophets, false prophets, and they're the false prophets that are doing all the prophecy. What you're telling me is there's the true one somewhere, we don't know who it is, but you've got to watch out for all these false ones. And all the false ones tell you, you better get in church, you better join the church, you better get back to mama. My Bible tells you, get out of mama. You've got to get out of mama. And go back to the faith that the fathers had when we started this book out here. Come on. Are we promised to God to send us someone to talk to us, which will actually be God himself talking to us face to face or mouth to ear? Lord, how mercy. Do we understand what's going on here? Can we actually believe that God himself come down here and let us in the shape that we're in, basically mental, whatever, whatever we are, we're not too bright, so to speak, and have enough sense to say, you know what, I believe that's God. And I just got enough something to say, I believe that. Because there's nothing to it except if you'll believe, you'll live. If you reject you, you die. That's not too hard. That's not too hard at all. Had his hand a little book open, he set his right foot up on the sea, left foot up on the earth. He cried with a loud voice. I wonder if that loud voice is still the same as the voice of the archangel. I just wondered. So when a lion roars, and when he had cried seven thunders out of the voice, uh-oh, what are these seven thunders talking about? Seven thunders must be telling me something that's in that little book that's open. Because I understand by reading now that John understood what they said, and he was told to seal up the book that the seven thunders uttered and write them not. So no one would know until somebody comes and tells us what it said. You mean to tell me, Brother Gregory, 2,000 years have gone by and this book's been sealed up? The book of Revelation, which is the prophecy that was given to us by Jesus himself after he ascended. Come to his servant John, give him a revelation or the prophecy of the book of Revelation in symbolic form, telling us exactly what would happen. And then he said, seal it up and let nobody understand. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he comes, I will allow him to be able to read the book of this prophecy. 
You mean to tell me that you believe Dr. So-and-so can't read the book and tell me what it is? I'm telling you, Dr. So-and-so has the least knowledge of the book of Revelation than anybody. You know more about the book of Revelation than Dr. So-and-so. If you know there's seven church aids, there's seven angels, if you even believe that God sent a prophet in this hour and opened the seals, and you know what the white horse rider, black horse rider, all those are, then you know more about it than any theologian in, in the Springfield College. You say, well, I can't believe that. Well, yeah, <laughs> I believe it to the 100%. That's what separates us from the rest of them. And when seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, see, and I heard the voice from heaven saying to me, seal up those things with the seven thunders uttered and write them not. Well, then how are we going to know? I've preached this for 20 years, and it gets better every time you preach it. Oh, John, I need someone to tell me what those seven thunders was because I have a little inkling that whatever they said come off of the tree of life and the product of it would absolutely change my body. Am I getting close? Am I getting close? I feel the heat. closer you get to the fire of the anointing, the more anointing you get. And the more we understand, the more we are to feel the anointing. The more we understand, the more we are to know who we are. I am the Messiah. I am anointed by what? Hearing the word of God. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. What? And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven. You saw the angel or the picture of it just a few minutes ago. He swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created the heavens and the things that are, that are there and the earth and the things that are therein are and the sea and the things which are therein and there should be time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel when he shall begin to sound then the mystery of God or what was in the seven thunders shall be made known. All right. Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Now all these pertain to the rapture. You say, well, how's all this pertaining to the rapture? Because the rapture is a revelation. See, your people are only looking at the rapture is I'm going to fly away someday. You're not going to fly away someday. You're going to evolve, metamorphose into mortal to immortality. How are you going to metamorphose unless you're eating something? Eat and make your body. You have to eat, drink, or what we call get under the right atmosphere and conditions for the body to metamorphose. Like a baby to a two-year-old, to a five-year-old, to a ten-year-old, to a fifteen-year-old, to a twenty-year-old, and finally to an old man. I've metamorphosed as far as I can go. Outside of, what do you call it? Not a metamorphosis, but rotten in the grave. I got one more stage go, rotten, back to worms, back to dust, unless, unless something comes to intervene. If there, <laughs> glory to God, if there's a law of life comes and intervenes and takes over and is greater than the law and the sentence of death, then the victory, <laughs> death is swallowed up in a victory. And we found out that the sting of death is the law. We also found out when there is no law, there's no sin. If there's no sin, 
Then what's swallowed up in victory? A revelation of the removal of sin is what sets you free that the law of life can change your body from mortal to immortality. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Notice now. I'll send you Elijah the prophet and watch. I will send you Malachi 4, 5, and 6. I will send you, watch now, Elijah the prophet. Okay, so we're not looking at the assemblies of God headquarters that they claim that they fulfill this scripture. He's going to send one man. He's going to send a man that has a spirit upon him. That spirit is the spirit of Elijah. What is the spirit of Elijah? Well, you find Elijah the Tishbite come out of somewhere that they don't even know where he come from. They don't know nothing about Elijah. All of a sudden, this old Crook comes out, and he's got, the, he's got anointing on him. They say, well, that's uh, Tishmite Elijah. He does all these miracles. He's, boy, he's crankish. Boy, he, he's hard to get along with. He kills them right and left. He, does, he just as sour as what you can get. He gets this right-hand man that works with him, which is Elisha. Now, Brother Bram said, now, that's us. Elijah was Christ. Elisha is the church or his bride. See, husband and wife. Same anointing. When Elijah goes, if you see me when I go, you'll receive a double portion. Woo! I don't know whether I could receive a double portion of Brother Bram's anointing, a double portion of the anointing on Jesus. But Elisha was promised a double portion. He would do twice as many miracles as Elijah. So Elijah went up in a pillar of fire, whirlwind. I guess he's still living. He didn't die. He showed up in Matthew 17 with Jesus and he showed up with Moses there and appeared to Jesus on Mount Transfiguration. He was still talking. He was still just the same old prophet that he was a long time before that. Moses didn't die. He showed up there on Mount Transfiguration with the same thing. They're not dead. Where are they? Oh, I don't know. But they're going to show up over in Israel. They're going to come out, walk out, and all of a sudden they're going to be anointed. Oh, it's going to be two, it'll be Moses and Elijah. What are they going to be anointed by? The Spirit of Christ. One by the law, one by prophecy. You've got law and grace standing there side by side. What are they going to do? They're going to bring a prophecy. They're going to bring a manifestation of Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Stop the heavens, stop the, all these miracles, whatever more. For 1,260 days, the Catholics and the Baptists are going to get so mad they're going to kill them. They kill them and they lay in the streets and they send gifts and jumping down and have a square dance and party and barbecue and a french fry and a bumper, whatever you call it. Until all of a sudden, they shake themselves. Every eye will see it. Except us, we might get a first-hand seat looking over. <laughs> but every eye here on earth will see it by way of Tel Aviv TV, which broadcasts in all the world. They'll see two prophets shake themselves, shake the dust off of themselves. And I don't think there'll be too much noise going on. There won't be too much hallelujah in the Pentecostal ranks in. The charismatics will lose all their hoom to doom to doom. They'll all stand silent when they see the Word of God being fulfilled right in front of their eyes. Are they going to repent? No, they'll start cussing God and everything else. 
Because you can't change a Democrat's mind, praise God for nothing. They're all insane. 99 of the Republicans are insane too. You say, well, they're 50-50 up there. It's amazing that 50 idiots can't get rid of the 50 more idiots. 100 idiots get together and they make one great big idiot. You said, they're insane. I said, glory to God. I'm glad they're insane. Why? Because the Bible says when they go insane, I'll get my sanity back. Praise God. That's the reason why we're rejoicing. All right. Now watch. When we look at these scriptures, he said, now watch. I'll send you Elijah the prophet. Now watch. Before the perusia, the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So according to the Bible, before this great and dreadful day of the Lord come, and the great and dreadful day of the Lord is speaking of 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, the Lord himself shall come down here with a shout. Because Acts 2, 20 says and calls it the great and notable day of the Lord. Dreadful means somebody's dreading him coming. Great means somebody's glad he's coming. Dreadful means somebody's, oh God, he, he, he showed up, and I'm not ready. Now, that's interpretation. Some, some glad he comes, some disappointed that he comes. That's not what it means at all. He's telling you of a time period when Malachi 4, this prophet, will come to fulfill 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, and Revelation 10, 1 to 7, to reveal to us what is in the open book of the angel's hand of Revelation 10, 1 to 3, which is God himself comes down here, is here, to reveal to us the contents of the open book, which is promised to change your body. You said, then it must be some great something, that something hard to pronounce, a magic name. It's not. It's only the written scriptures interpreted in simplicity that we can understand and see that what God said, He has fulfilled it. He has fulfilled it. The church world teaches, you can go on the internet and prove it, pick it up and they'll teach you that the great and dreadful day of the Lord is the tribulation period of seven years. Now, I'm giving you what the church teaches and what 95% of the message people teach. 95% of the message preachers do not make a difference than the fundamental Baptist teaching pertaining to the second coming of Christ or the rapture. Or either they say, we just don't know. Most of them say we're waiting for Brother Branham to come back and tell us what this mystery is. The tribulation period, according to the fundamentals in John Hagee, is seven years. And 99% of your teachers on the TV teach seven years. The prophet of God said it was three and one half years, 1,260 days. And you go to, and you go to Daniel 70 weeks and that's where you, the mystery is untangled. 
They teach that this seven-year period is the day of the Lord where it is dreadful to those because of the coming judgments of Christ. And it is great for those who go into the marriage supper or what they call the rapture with Jesus and they finally come back sometime between after or wherever the seven years to set up his kingdom. They don't know exactly when. But the scripture tells us before the tribulation period, the day of the Lord, which we have studied about five or six months ago, we went into the day of the Lord, and we found out the day of the Lord is in contrast to the day of man. Day of man for 6,000 years. Now then is the time the day of the Lord comes and he takes over and takes us out of the day of man into the day of the Lord. So to put it simply this, the day of the Lord is when 1 Thessalonians, the Lord himself descends down here with an open book. When he comes down and Brother Brown points to the cloud, 1963, that was the sign of his coming. That is the seventh seal. That is Revelation 10. That is the seventh seal, which was the coming of the Lord. Now, this teaching is heresy, according to most people. That was the mark and sign of the coming of the Lord to do something. The day of the Lord begins at, let's put simply put so we can get it, let's just say, the opening of the seven seals serves as the time. The cloud appearing out in Arizona, which formed the head of Christ, seven angels come. That was the time. Let's put it that way. You can argue about it. I'm going to mark. That's the time that the day of the Lord begins a process until the millennial reign. So we've been in the day of the Lord since 1963. Okay, we've been in that time period where the Lord is here accomplishing a process until He sets up His kingdom. Before the tribulation period, the day of the Lord, which we have said it to be in contrast to the day of man, actually begins with the fulfilling of the prophecy of Malachi 4, the coming of Elijah. So if we have a promise that Elijah would come before the great and notable day of the Lord, and the great and noble day of the Lord is when the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, which is Revelation 10, 1, he comes with the open book which represents the tree of life to us, then Elijah would have to be here on earth at the time of this appearing or this coming of the Lord. Now, when we speak about the coming of the Lord, we are not talking about Jesus the man that died on Calvary. We're talking about the Father, the Lord Himself, God, Christ, the anointing, the Logos, the pillar of fire. We're talking about Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. How many understands what we're saying? So you have to make a difference between the man and the father. That's the reason we teach father and son. There's a difference, and you must understand that difference to be able to keep up 
with the anointing are God the Father. I always said follow the light, follow the bouncing ball, follow the, the light. So we begin with the message, sirs, is this the time? That's where the prophet marked the beginning of this time period. And it is the great and notable day of the Lord. And the word notable means when the epiphania or the presence of God comes to set up as judge to judge the church. Now, how long have we preached the judges here in the prophecy? Now, we know that that wig one was the judge. Here he comes. We find out he's got the wig on and the judge. The judge is here. We're sitting before the judge, which is the word right now. All these scriptures, I'm going to tell you, we can sit here all day and I can go from Genesis to Revelation and prove to you that in the last 75 years, 95% of the scriptures that speaks about the coming of the Lord, the tribulation, the rapture, has all been fulfilled right before our eyes. It's all right here in front of us. He shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. That was it. John the Baptist come to the first coming of Jesus Christ, the pillar of fire. And the heart of the children to the fathers. Now that's speaking of our Elijah. Our part of this fivefold ministry. Watch, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So before the tribulation period, God himself has promised to come down here. He's promised to stand in the midst of the church. He promised, according to Luke 17, 30, that he would make himself known in human flesh in the exact ministry of Jesus 2,000 years ago. He would do the exact same thing through a man that he done in the man Jesus 2,000 years ago. Same ministry, same sign, same exact same ministry to the Gentile that he did to the Jews. How many is following me now? If we recognize that ministry, that puts us in a unique group Moving in a direction. Okay. I'll put in your notes this. Just to keep it simple. I'll read it for you. And it would take lessons which we took about ten. And take the great and dreadful day of the Lord through Acts and through Zechariah and all those scriptures to show you what it is. That the Lord the prophet marked the cloud... As a starting point to the seals that he called the seventh seal, which was the coming of Christ. Not the coming of the man Jesus. The coming of the anointing. The coming of the Logos. The coming of a light. God himself. Of which the Bible actually calls the appearing. The Phaneru. The Epiphania. The Revelation. The perusia of, the unveiling of Christ. Five words defined this time period where the Logos comes down here and makes himself known in manifestation, fanaru, uncovering, revealing, message, thus saith the Lord, signs and wonders. All these stages are all encompassed in the word perusia or presence. Everybody say presence. Presence. From the time period of the revealing of the seals. I say revealing because the seals open up through the church ages. From the time that the seals understanding was opened to us by the open book. And it took a prophet to read it. 1963. Read the book. 
sealed book in the church age book, to the resurrection which is yet to come for the sleeping saints. We have been resurrected out of denominationalism. We have come out of the system. We have come out of darkness. We are already resurrected to the presence of the tree of life. All right? And the going away, now from the resurrection to the going away to the marriage supper is still a part of this process. As we said before, there is absolutely 1,260 days that we are in another dimension to the marriage supper of the Lamb with Jesus, the glorified, physical man, Son of God, Son of Man. Hallelujah. Glorified man. We meet him there. Remember, he goes up. He comes over and takes the book. Revelation 5 there. Jesus intercedes for 2,000 years. Once he has interceded for every name on the book, which your name is in there. When he intercedes for you, every name of the book has been interceded for. He takes the book. Satan can't take it. We've all been through that for a year. He takes the book and he hands it to the Father who is that pillar of fire on the throne. Revelation 5. No man is worthy to take the book, but behold, the Lamb of God. He was worthy. He comes and he takes the book. He hands it to the one on the throne, which is God. God then takes that book that's opened by the Lamb. He comes right down according to Revelation 10, 1. He comes down here to earth to Revelation 10, 7, a prophet. Jesus, the Lamb of God, climbs up on the Father's throne and he sits down. Now the prophet said we have a man on the throne of God. All right, now then who's down here? Who's down here? To do something for us. To take us up here. And Jesus steps down one dimension. We meet him right here under the fifth dimension. Or right under the altar for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this light that come down here. That's doing a work among us. That takes control of our bodies. Anointing. Messiahs. Takes the whole body, the anointed ones. Up here, we follow that light to the marriage supper through a dimension. We see the lamb at the head of the table. We see that light go right into that body. Now Jesus there is the incarnated Son of God once again. God manifested in flesh. We all take our seats at the marriage supper of the lamb. While two prophets are down here giving them for tomorrow's sake. He's bombing them, stoning them, threatening them, killing them, and everything else down here. So it's not too pleasant. It'd be dreadful to be here. Yeah, I can understand why it'd be dreadful to be here, because all things are going on. Watch. So both Moses and Elijah are present, calling out the 144,000 while we're up here enjoying ourselves. As I said before, they are killed, according to the book of Revelation. All eyes will see these two prophets arise and ascend into a cloud. And according to the picture, that cloud is met by a man coming back in white horses, which is Revelation 19, which is Jesus, the glorified Son of God, the man, with you and I, the glorified saints, with him. 
riding on horses, white horses. I was so dumb, that's the reason I got a horse one time. Because I was afraid to ride a horse. And I said, I know I'm going to be in the rapture. And I got to ride a horse back with him. So I better learn how to ride a horse. After I got thrown a few times, I thought, I think I can make it. As long as Jesus is leading the way, I think my horse can make it too. So my horse days are over. All this flower image shows us riding back with him, Revelation 19. Taking over the kingdom, which is now in ashes, smoke, death, chaos, Everything is cleaned out, and we start our job of rebuilding. Now, the question that we all must ask is everybody can say, Amen, that's us coming back in Revelation 19. But who can tell us how we got up there to come back? See, Revelation 19 is what the world should be calling the second coming of Jesus with his church. But who is this Lord that comes down here with a message, gathers a group of people together, reveals the Antichrist system, gives us something that changes our body while we're alive, brings all the resurrected saints out of that dimension, gathers all together and rises up here for three and a half years, and then all of a sudden, glorified, we turn around and come back. What coming is this right here? That's the one that everybody's missing. I call it the presence of God. I call it the message of the hour. The Bible calls it the coming of the Lord or the perusia of Christ. And what we want to examine is to make sure that our understanding is scriptural. That we're basically in line with the word of God. So the great and terrible day of the Lord speaks of the time of darkness, right? Dreadful day. Acts 2, chapter 18, verse 18. Let's look at, what is the time run out already? It sure has. Okay. Hmm. Let's just read this right here and we'll stop because we won't get to this other over here. Watch. Acts 2. And on my service and on my handmaids I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Now this is the end time. This is not the book of Acts. This is not 2,000 years ago. This is a prophecy pertaining to today. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Something going on. War, calamity, volcanoes, whatever it is that makes this condition exist, it's all going on. Then the, the sun shall be turned into darkness. What about that? Is that natural? Is that figurative? Is the atomic clouds so thick that you can't see the sun? What is he talking about? And the moon into blood. Is it natural blood, literal blood, figurative? What is this? Before the great and notable day of the Lord. Now we're talking about the same day that he's going to send Malachi before the great and dreadful door. Here's the same day now. That the Lord himself must come down here and do something for you. Before this takes place. We see these conditions exist today. So I have no doubt in saying the one that's supposed to come down here and do something for the church. He's here. Whether you understand it, whether we understand it, whether you recognize it, whether I recognize it, he is here doing something for the bride. That's just the bottom line of it. If we take these events literally, and most of them do, the sun into darkness, moon into blood, does this mean that there will be natural conditions exist 
that the sun will absolutely appear to be dark. In other words, the clouds and smoke and the volcanoes and whatever more is so thick that you can't see the sun and it's dark. Will the moon actually turn into blood, which I doubt, or will through the smoke and chaos and ash and what more, it will look red like blood? What does this symbolic language mean that we can understand what's going on? Because this condition must exist before this great and notable day of the Lord. And the notable day of the Lord is when God comes down here as the wig one, the judge. And we have taught for years, and Brother Bam taught, the judge is here. That the beam of Christ is going on, and the bride is standing before the judgment seat of Christ. And you are, have already been judged and passed the trial and found not guilty. The bride is found not guilty. What if the sun represents the light of the word? Which he said it did. And what if the moon represents the church? And the great and noble day of the Lord speaks of when the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Which it does. Meaning that he is here on earth revealing the son of man. Which he has. In Malachi 4, 5, and 6, the Elijah the prophet is here revealing the mysteries, mystery of lawlessness, which he already has. Meaning that the presence of God has already fulfilled his word exactly as he said, which he has. And that the person, the tree of life, is here, which he is. Proved among us by Hebrews 13, 8, which he has. And all these conditions exist before us Spiritually speaking, and it is a reality to those who have received the revelation of the rapture. What I'm saying is, if the revelation of the rapture, if we, ha if we don't know what it is, all these things are confusion to us. They don't mean nothing, except symbolic language that some preachers up there telling me about stories of dragons and great whores and... Lightnings and thunders and thunder seals and what all that stuff means, I don't know. But every symbolic language in the book of Revelation speaks of a physical reality of something that's going on right among us now. Because you worship God in spirit and in truth, which means spiritual reality are seeing those things that are not as though they are. Watch. If it's a dreadful day, why should we look forward to it? Most Christians are not jumping up and down rejoicing because they think the rapture will take place in the next few weeks. If I would tell you, thus saith the Lord, the rapture is going to take place in three weeks, I guarantee you most of you would be paralyzed. You wouldn't be jumping up and down speaking in tongues and rejoicing. How come? If I told you the rapture is coming in two weeks and you knew who you was, <laughs> you'd be walking on chandeliers. You'd be rejoicing. You'd be running up here telling this Russian living next door, hey, remember the rapture take place. We're going glory to God. You better get something. We'd be telling somebody, tell somebody, tell somebody. So if I tell you the rapture is taking place now, your body language, your reaction, your response tells me you don't really believe it. It's not really real to you. Does that mean it's not taking place, though? 
See, the revelation of the rapture is a revelation of who you are, what you are, and what is going on. We should be rejoicing because the same scriptures tells us that he'll send Elijah as a way of escape. Okay, y'all want to come up and run out of time? I hadn't even got started yet. I took three hours for about six years to preach this down the boot hill years and years ago, and you're still preaching it, but we've got to understand it. We're in a rapture process. I'm trying to tell us exactly, simplicity what God has done so we know what part we're fulfilling now. Let me just give you a little insight before we go. How many wants to go, you want to go through this teaching? How many wants to understand what the rapture really is in simple language? What? I give you in your notes the modern definition of a prophet. Because the word prophet just seems to paralyze modern day people. Ooh, prophet. Ooh, I just paralyzed at a prophet. Why would a prophet paralyze you when the Bible is written by prophets? The Bible must paralyze you then. You have nothing or you have no God without a prophet. Surely the Lord God will do nothing until he reveals his secret to the prophet. Now, when you look at the definition of a prophet, we have a people that set on the message of our now trying to prove that Brother Bram wasn't a prophet because uh, a prophet is someone that foretells future events. If he doesn't foretell future events and the future events doesn't come to pass, he's a false prophet. Whoa, is that so? A prophet is a man that receives a message from God. And the message from God is therefore spoken in place of God. Uh, he's in place of a deity. And that message is called a prophecy. In Malachi, Malachi the prophet said, now watch. God is going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and grateful day of the Lord. 400 years later, God didn't move for Israel one iota. 400 silent years from Malachi till I'm going to send you Elijah until John the Baptist showed up, which was Elijah the prophet. God was silent. When John the Baptist showed up, according to the modern definition of a prophet, he wouldn't pass the smell test. I'm putting it in my own language now. Because he, to be a modern-day prophet, has to foretell something. Oh, 15 years from now, Jesus is going to do something. Oh, 10 years from now, oh, next week, God. No, no. He would have to foretell something. They'd have to wait till it come to pass to prove that what he said was true. And then, oh, yeah, he was a prophet. John the Baptist wouldn't pass the smell test. John the Baptist was the third coming of Elijah with the Spirit on him. And he was not a foreteller. He was a fourth teller. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the earth, the world. John was a prophet foretelling you. There's the one that you're looking at. So he did not fit the definition of the modern day prophet. But he fits the definition of God's prophet. Because he said, the one that told me I see the light land on and remain, that's the one that will save you from your sins. And there he is. Brother Branham was not what we call a foreteller. Even though he had visions that come to pass. He was a foreteller. Because when you get to the end, why would I want to know, oh, in the millennium I want to build a hut and it's going to be two stories high. 
I'm not concerned with what I'm going to do in the millennium. I want to know what God's doing right here now. Where's God this morning? What's He doing? Is there somebody that can tell me what God's doing now? I don't need somebody say, oh, thus says the Lord, five years, so and so. No, I need somebody say, and this, this is what He's doing. This is that. This is this scripture. This day, this scripture is fulfilling your hearing. I put the notes in here. Brother Bam said, I wonder how they missed it when Jesus stood there and said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled. And he said, if you're not asleep, I'm telling you this morning, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing right now. Now I'll read you this and we'll close. It's called the unrecognized presence. Let's put it in modern theological Greek terms for the intellect ones. The unrecognized perusia of Christ. Because that's exactly what it is. The unrecognized perusia of Christ. What did he say? What could these people be thinking of? God has always it's been that way every time that he comes. When Jesus was here the first time, he said, you whited and you garnished the walls and the tombs of the prophets and you put them in there. See, something happens and it passes by us. And God hides it from the eyes of the wise and proven reveals it to babes such as we'll learn. Jesus thanked the Father for doing it that way. It goes right by the people and they don't know it. Now Jesus being there so scripturally identified by the scriptures... And the scribes and Pharisees of that day could not recognize him. Why didn't they? Why didn't they do it? Because they had it figured out some other way. I don't know anybody or any preacher that I talk to that hasn't got it figured out to the letter. They all know exactly how it's going to be. And most of the time it pertains to them doing something or somebody else doing something. But he said, search the scripture for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they that testify me. See, he come exactly with the scriptures. We've got to go right by the scriptures. But they had it figured out maybe that it would become the Messiah would come probably like do what Moses did or what Noah did to build an ark or something like that. But the reason he come the way that he did, they hadn't figured out in the scripture there was with their traditions. Did not teach them. So the people were so confused. They didn't know what was going on. Wonder if that could happen today. I wonder if it could be different than what traditions has taught us. And it could come and something would pass through and would never even know until it's already passed and then it's over. That's just about the way it will come. My text tonight is the presence of God unrecognized. Last night we were talking of Jesus being the same yesterday and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. And seeing that he was the same yesterday and forever. Now, his presence, if he is the same, is unrecognized. Let us read then according to the scribes. He goes about a Jonas, so and so and so and so and so and so and so. And a greater than Solomon is here. The presence of God unrecognized. All these scriptures in the revelation of the rapture pertains to the Lord himself being here. What coming of the Lord is that? That's not the second coming. That's the appearing 
That's the presence. That's the fulfilling of Scripture for the tree of life to come right down here for you to partake of it, which is the, in the open book, which contains the seven mysteries of the seven thunders, which unveils the spirit of iniquity, which we already know, and that absolutely gives you the right to immortality and the rapture of the catching away part. What we want to know is follow the Scripture. And I put in your message, if we had never even heard of what God had done for the last 75 years, if I've never even heard of a prophet or don't even believe in a prophet, let's just say I'm a good fundamental Baptist that's sitting in church and listen to fundamental teaching all my life. Knowing nothing about a prophet, knowing nothing about seal, knowing nothing about, it does, it's just completely farce as far as I'm concerned. And I'm sincerely wanting to know about the coming of the Lord and what God has promised me to do. Could I go to the scripture and read it and understand what God is doing today according to the rapture and the second coming of Christ? And I say you can, and it is contrary to 99 and 9 tenths of the teaching. We are in the rapture now. We're in the metamorphosis process of mortal immortality. God himself has proven that he has come down. He is here. All these things that you're talking about are not in the future. We had a forth telling prophet to tell you, this scripture is fulfilled. This scripture is fulfilled. This scripture is fulfilled. This is what this is talking about. This is what this symbol means. This is what the seals were. This is what the thunder This is what God hid. This is what water baptism. This is what salvation. This is what the new birth. He told you exactly what all the mysteries was. And then God took him off the scene. That's where we stand today. I'm not looking for someone to tell me what's coming down the road. The Holy Spirit is here to tell us what he's here doing to us today and asking us to make a choice. Wash your robes, which means get your mind in order to think right. Just take the word of God, the scriptures, as they say, see what God has done and accept it. Just believe. Because all in this hour, this time period, the Bible said that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's not a lot to ask anyone for the gift of eternal life. Only believe and you'll be saved. Let's stand this morning. Praise God. Sorry that I took you so long. But it's all right if we go back over the teaching a little bit of the rapture and the second coming. Because now my subject is what? The tree of life is here for the word to become flesh. I'm not off my subject. I'm right in the middle of the subject. If the word has to become flesh, and that's you and I, how does that take place? And the brother Branham called it the rapture revelation. Rapture revelation. <laughs> the rapture is a revelation. It is an understanding of Scripture of how God is doing it and has done it. We have had a forth-telling prophet who had the spirit of prophecy upon him that was able to read the book. Because in Revelation 1, verse 3, it said, Blessed is he that readeth. And he that heareth this book read, that, blessed is he that heareth the prophecy of this book read. 
So we're looking at a message from a prophet, and that prophet was God who gave Jesus a prophecy, which is the book of Revelation, and we had to have someone to come down here and be able to read it and tell us what the symbols mean to go to immortality. I put it that way. But it's to clear up our understanding, which the understanding of the book of Revelation produces the rapture. Amen? What are we going to say? That's a whole lot of scattering out here, so I don't know what we're going to say.